you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. And on today's program, well, we're going to get to even more than football and basketball today. I have a Jeopardy rant coming up. Yes, one of Columbia's own and a guy who works for KCOU here, the KBIA the NPR affiliate here in town. Well, he was on Jeopardy and did quite well for himself. But you know what? It sparked some thoughts in my head about not only that show, but just, frankly, how human beings do not know how to calculate risk. Yes, this is something that should actually benefit your life. This isn't just a Jeopardy thing. But, of course, first, got to get to real football and basketball, including Boonville defensive end prospect DJ Wezelak released his top 15, yes, 15 schools, about 25% of the Power Five this kid has cut it down to, including the likes of Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma, Georgia, but unfortunately, not your Missouri Tigers. Yes, it was starting to seem like Eli and the gang was getting a bit of traction with the Boonville prospect, but you know what? You win some, you lose some, and it turns out he's going to leave mid-Missouri. So you know what? Good luck, kid. No hard feelings. But speaking of somebody who is heading out of mid-Missouri, defensive lineman Markel Utzi entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. Sort of like Jamal Brooks, a guy that a little bit surprisingly, just in terms of timing, that he would leave the program now, having gone through spring practices. But, you know, who knows what the situation is there. Perhaps they could see the writing on the wall that maybe some other guys had passed them on the depth chart. Who knows? But good luck to Markel and his future endeavors as well. But without a lot of other huge breaking news on the Mizzou beat over the last week or so, I want to take a bigger look at college football in general. And just as far, we can forget about the competitive balance argument of college football, which we could certainly get into, and maybe I will get into it here in this over the next few months of the football offseason here. But really, I'm more concerned about the actual product on the field, the rules and the fairness, all that kind of stuff. Now, the deal is obviously, offensives have gotten much more efficient over the last couple decades, in no small part because the passing game has just totally taken off. A lot of that is because, well, teams have finally figured out, hey, if we get in the shotgun, guess what? We can get the ball out of the quarterback's hands faster, and nothing kills a drive faster than a sack. So just that little change alone has resulted in offenses just being able to move the ball so much better. And obviously, though, there's the rules side of the equation, too. And most rules tend to favor the offense at this point. Let's be honest. So to me, let's, it's time to start bringing back just a tiny bit of balance toward the defensive side of the football. And the biggest place to start there has got to be with the ineligible receiver downfield rule. 
Now, obviously, the last few years of college football and, and NFL football, for that matter, you've seen a proliferation of run-pass option plays, which are, are pretty brilliant in their concept and, and their execution, just in their real simplicity. Because a lot of times, as much as that sounds complicated, a run-pass option play, well, a lot of times the quarterback, especially in college football, will simply maybe read one player like a linebacker and he'll put the he'll take the snap, put the ball in the belly of his running back, and if that linebacker takes a step forward, well, a lot of times the quarterback will then pull the ball and throw a slant pass to the receiver who is then in that space that has been vacated by the linebacker. Now, obviously that puts a linebacker in a real bind, and can that and that can be a very, very difficult play to defend. But what makes it almost impossible to defend is when one of those see a lot of times on the offensive line on these RPO plays, half the line will be in pass blocking type situation, and the other half will be run blocking. Well, the thing is, when you're run blocking, a lot of times you get way downfield and for that linebacker, it's hard enough when you're caught in a bind trying to make a decision. The worst thing is, is oh, now I have this 350-pound offensive lineman who is three, four yards downfield as this receiver is catching the ball behind me, that type of deal. To me, it's just not fair. The current rule is, okay, they actually give offensive linemen three yards of cushion. That's just way too much when you think about it. That's even That's kind of insane to me. Not to be simplistic, three yards is nine feet. Think about that. That's nearly as long as a basketball goal. That's a massive, massive buffer. And again, a lot of times the referees will give you even more than three yards. So it's basically, you know, it's one thing when you catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Because on a screen pass, for instance, if you catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage, then that ineligible receiver downfield penalty, well, that's then null. That's fine, but then to me, if you're throwing a slant pass now, now it's basically become a screen pass, except, no, it's a forward pass that's a screen pass. That's just too much to me. That's against the spirit of what football is, in my opinion. I just don't think that's – and it's not fair. I just don't see how you can possibly defend those plays. I really don't. And I want to suggest some more rule changes. But first, a word from my friends at betonline.ag and – well, wouldn't you know it, how about it? Those Kansas City Royals off to a 9-5 and five start. And I bring this up, of course, because I gave you some value already. I, I said the Royals were way, way, way undervalued at 40-1 to one to win the American League Central Division. Well, after that 9-5 and five start, you can get them at 11-1 to one at betonline.ag. So you know what? You got to be happy with your boy if you followed me on that one. Congratulations on capturing value. But whether you're into Major League Baseball, the NHL, NBA, whatever it might be, Bet Online has you covered, plus boxing, of course. Oh no, Ben Askren. Oh no, buddy. Hey, I tried to warn you guys, didn't I? Well, regardless, head to betonline.ag now, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, that's 50% on top of your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on at bet online your online sportsbook experts
And of course, the Locked On Podcast Network is covering the NFL Draft from all angles. Catch up on the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Odyssey. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Dudes podcast for the latest draft news. And stay tuned for more info about our live NFL Draft coverage. So I believe during the last offseason, I did a couple podcasts about the 1969 Orange Bowl, which of course Missouri lost famously, if you're a Tiger fan, 10-3 to to the Penn State Nittany Lions. Certainly throw that one into your Google machine or check it out in the archives if you want to hear about that. I really enjoyed those episodes. But one thing I noticed while watching that full Orange Bowl on YouTube at that time was that back in the day, yes, 50 years ago, a false start on the offensive line, well, on anybody, just a false start period, was not a dead ball penalty. And one thing that had never occurred to me is, okay, I actually, I like most fans, I enjoy when a team, especially if you're a Patrick Mahomes fan, right? When the defense jumps off sides, you get a free play. Well, that's, that's an exciting part of football. Certainly Aaron Rodgers has made this into an art form. But if the offense jumps off sides, why, do they, why doesn't the defense get a free play? Well, back in the day, that wasn't a dead ball penalty. So this isn't impossible. I guess the idea is if you're the offense in that situation, well, if you you should just take a you should just throw the ball into the ground at that point. You should just throw it out of bounds. If you realize that there's a false start, well don't give the defense a free play. I guess that's why the rule ultimately ended up changing, but I don't know. I just wondered if perhaps you're a linebacker, say you're a 3-4 linebacker on the outside, you're in a two-point stance, standing up but really, it looks like you're going to rush the quarterback, but really, in reality, you've got, you're have got man-to-man with the running back. But he goes out for a pass. Somebody false starts. You think, oh, I've got a free play. Well, here's something you can do now. In, in your free play scenario, you can simply abandon that man and go attack the quarterback because guess what? If he dumps it off perfectly, the running back, and it goes 80 yards for a touchdown, well, now it didn't matter. Just the opposite of what happens on offense. But I have to admit, now that I talk about this out loud, it does make sense to have a false start be a dead ball because, well, the offense is the one in charge of that scenario. So they can simply just throw the ball out of bounds. There's also a couple presentation elements that I'd like to see added to broadcasts. And one of them is we all love pylon cam, right? Well, not only is pylon cam an impressive piece of technology, and it provides you just spectacular looks at the action. It's also a practical. There's also a huge practical element to pylon cam, too, where on instant replay, it allows you to see if the if the ball carrier indeed got the ball inside the pylon, outside the pylon, and it gives you a perfect shot right down the goal line. So my argument is, is how about we, have, we install p- cameras in the first down markers, not only at the line of scrimmage and at the at both at the line of scrimmage and at the first down mark. That way, again, you have the perfect camera angle to see if somebody jumped off sides, to see if the ball carrier got the first down or if the guy stopped him short. To me, what, what's the downside there? Considering how much 
technology continues to improve and evolve and cameras just keep getting cheaper, this seems like a really low-cost solution that, you know, frankly, every SEC school could throw in and get at least have that on their home fields. But I don't know if this is up to ESPN or, or CBS, whoever it might be, but honestly... If you're the SEC at this point, just throw in and get a few GoPros, put them on those first down markers. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. And finally, have you noticed how some broadcasts, like CBS in particular, on all of their networks, they don't really have a bottom line ticker anymore. And to me, I think the bottom line ticker is a total relic and it's just distracting at this point. Well, guess what? I already have enough distractions to distract me in my game. I've already got my iPad, my iWatch, my i my i this, my i that, my computers, my laptops. We've all got a billion different things that can distract us from what we're watching on our screen. That bottom line ticker. Well, guess what? 20 years ago, it was totally relevant because you didn't have ways to quickly check on the box scores and the scores throughout the rest of the country in college football or, or baseball or whatever it might be. Well, now we all can instantly get the exact score that we're interested in in that moment from, of course, our smart devices. So to me, the bottom line ticker, all it's doing is taking up valuable real estate and serving to distract us from the main event and that's the game. Concentrate on the game. I like, and plus, it just makes the broadcast look cleaner too. You just have less graphics, less stuff going on. I don't want my my broadcast. I don't want my sports broadcast to look like a CNBC broadcast with the stock ticker going along the bottom and constant graphics being bombarded at me. I, just a cleaner experience. I think will be a better experience for everybody. And finally, I do want to teach all of you a slight lesson about risk and reward via Columbia, Missouri's own Sebastian on Jeopardy. But first, I got to tell you about one of our longest sponsors, and that is Built Bar, which is, of course, the absolute best tasting protein bar on the market. And on top of that, whether, whether speaking of these tasty things, whether it's cookies and cream or banana bread, toffee, almond, I mean, really, the amount of variety that they have in these flavors, there's bound to be something that you're going to love at Built Bar. And on top of that, hey, guess what? These bars are low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-in-fiber. I'm telling you, if you're a guy like me and you're on the move a lot, heading from one task to the next. Sometimes you just need to shove something in your gullet. Well, Build Bar is a really great option for that. So go to buildbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at buildbar.com. And starting today through the 26th, listen to the ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring analysis from Michael Irvin, Jason, Lachenforna, and Brian Baldinger, our local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcast, news, and music that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. 
And congratulations go out to Columbia, Missouri's own Sebastian, who on April 7th, his, his episode of Jeopardy aired. And well, even though he didn't win, he had a really, really strong performance, winning $22,399. Well, I guess he didn't win that when you get second place in Jeopardy. You don't get to go home with the loot, but still... That's a really strong finish. He was beaten out by Brandon, a multi-day champion, really strong player. But hey, if you're Sebastian, hold your head high. You really did well on that show, pal. No doubt about it. You, you did Columbia proud. Also, I assume Sebastian is somewhat like myself and that he's been a longtime Jeopardy fan. So it had to be a little bit surreal that his one appearance on the show happens to be Aaron Rodgers is the host on the show. I thought Aaron did a pretty good job, by the way. I enjoyed, obviously he's got a bit of an unusual broadcasting presence, kind of a low-key guy, but, you know, a, 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 low, a, a low-key sense of humor, too, and I actually kind of enjoyed Aaron as the host there for a few days. But what I want to talk about here today is actually a Final Jeopardy, and something that I've seen a lot lately that I actually think we can relate to our own lives. I've just noticed so many people in general, but especially on Jeopardy, during that final segment, they just can't quite calculate the risk versus reward. And more specifically, they can very, very well see the risk of something, but somehow the reward, they're unable to calculate that, oh, actually taking a little bit more of a risk is worth that bigger reward. Now, heading into Final Jeopardy, Brandon, who ended up winning the game, was a multi-day champion on Jeopardy, had a slight lead by a few thousand dollars over Sebastian and the lady who was in third place. But it was one of those games where technically all three people were in the game because, again, as long, unless you have twice as much money, of course, as the person in second place, well, then there's a chance that you can get the question wrong and the other person will bet enough, get it correct, and surpass you. That's the simple way of explaining how Final Jeopardy works, right? Listen, the show's been on for 35 years. Surely I don't need to explain to you Jeopardy at this point. Now, my point is, is Brandon basically had about $16,000 and Sebastian was in second place with about eleven, and then I believe the lady in, in second place. Let's say she had about nine thousand or something. So if Brandon gets it wrong, he's probably going to lose the game. It only takes one person then to get that right. Now, if I'm playing Jeopardy, I'm a smart guy, right? And the other people I'm playing against, I have to assume they're intelligent as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the program. Now, of course, Sebastian's bet is pretty simple there. He doubles down. He bets basically everything he has except for, I believe, $1. So he essentially doubles his money by getting the answer correct. Well, Brandon also gets his answer correct, but he bets $4,601 so he can bet just slightly enough, just barely enough to beat Sebastian. But here's the problem there. By doing so, Brandon left $12,000 that he could have won on the table. And here's where the risk-reward it gets messed up here. See, Brandon is trying to protect himself in a scenario where essentially he gets it wrong and then both of his opponents also get it wrong. That could happen. That's a plausible scenario. 
Again, all of these people are smart, though. What is the likelihood that all three people are going to get the question wrong? Pretty low, I would say. To me, it's a much, much, much stronger likelihood that all three people get the answer right. Most importantly, though, that Brandon will get it right. And here's the deal. Again, if Sebastian has a little bit less money, well, it basically comes down to if Brandon gets it right, he wins the game. But if he gets it wrong, he probably loses anyway because Sebastian or the person in third place is going to get it right. So to me, why not, if you're Brandon in that scenario, just bet everything. Bet it all. Because then when you win the game, well, guess what? You take it all with you. Because that's the thing. If you get second place, as I pointed out, you get second or third, you get the automatic 2000 1000 payoff. You don't get whatever X amount of money that you had at the end of the show. Like for, Again, Sebastian had $22,000 at the end of his round. He took home 2000 because that's the, that's the prize. My point is, is the fact that the smartest people, among the smartest people in the world, are so blinded by the downside in a scenario that they're unable to see the much more obvious upside. The much when the uh, when the upside is so much more likely to happen than the downside. Again, much more likely that Brandon gets the question right than it is that all three of those contestants, including him, get it wrong. Well, why would you not want to get that extra twelve thousand dollars? Twelve thousand dollars is a lot of money, right? That's another twelve thousand dollars Brandon would have if he would have listened to me. But hey. That's my long rant about Jeopardy here on Locked on Mizzou. So thank you for sticking with me through this entire thing. And, well, obviously it gets a little weird around here during the offseason. So thank you guys once again for listening and following on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Hey, tell a friend for me, will you? So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.